0: Are you a budding canna business owner? Do you currently own a license are in the process of receiving one and need help with taking your business to the next level? Tap Peak Relief Consultations, from licensing and staffing to seed to sale. Peak Relief uses their expertise in the industry to take your brand to the next level. Don't waste your valuable time spinning your wheels. Let Peak Relief Consultations ensure your canna dreams don't go up in smoke.
1: All right, well, without further ado, um, Cash Color Camp is a high level of conversation, recording live from Urban City Market for our Atlanta City Market event. And I am blessed to have my first guest in the building, man, my man, Panama Jackson, man. Panama, what's good, bro?
0: I'm chilling, man. What's going on? Glad to be back home in Atlanta, Georgia. I live in D.C. now, so it's always good to be back here. So you born and raised in Atlanta? No, I was born in Panama, hence the name. Okay. But I'm a military brat, grew up in Germany, high school in Alabama. So I know Lee's coming up here. I went to high school in Huntsville, Alabama, actually. I'm just glad to be here. Like Atlanta is home for me. I went to Morehouse, so here for homecoming.
1: Word, word. Well, I'm glad to have you in the building. It's crazy. You, you actually. So you're actually Panamanian?
0: No, so you? no. I'm my, my parents. I'm my story is ridiculous. Wait, do y'all cut? y'all cuss out here? Oh, we, we can cuss. cuss? Oh, okay, oh. my story is fucked Damn. up. So, like, my mom is a white woman from France. My daddy's a black man from Alabama. I was born in Panama because them Negroes were stationed. Well, my mom was not a Negro. The white Negro was stationed there, and uh, a star was born. Listen. I'm I'm here but no I'm I'm born in Panama raised across the world and now I live in DC where that is home that's what's up
1: man all right well um you know we always start every conversation off by introducing people and I want to know who exactly is Panama Jackson for those who don't know
0: so Panama Jackson is a professional black person (laughs) so I wake up every morning and I live my best black life I my profession is I'm a writer uh, I founded a site called VerySmartBrothers.com where we basically write about the living Black experience. My website was bought out by Univision in the Root a couple years ago. So my whole life is literally writing about Black stories, Black narratives. If I if I wake up and I start drinking Hennessy and I want to write about it, <laughs> I literally write about that, which I have done. That was my life this morning. Um, but I write about police brutality. But I also write about wings versus flats. Sugar versus salt in your grits. Like, whatever oh, blackness bro. is talking about <laughs> is literally what I get to do for a living. I am a free black person because my entire life is rooted in being black and telling our stories.
1: Bro, I got so many more questions now. <laughs> like, Because that was one of them. I was like, you know, I like your bio because you literally have it in there that I am a professional black person. And it's I'm like, facts. how have I missed that job? Like, I feel like that's a job I should have been working for years. Like, how did
0: you get the job of a professional black person? Um... I took a shot on myself at one point. I, um, my partner and I started a website called Very Smart Brothers in 2008. And we literally just started writing about our lives and what it is like to be a black person in America. It just so happened that we're both talented enough to get people to pay attention. And we leveled up. Like I've written for, I've won awards. I'm an award-winning writer. I've written for the New York Times, the Washington Post. I've written for all these white publications, but I don't really give a shit about them. Because I like the fact that I have a very black-centric... Like, like Toni Morrison is one of my favorite writers because she was very specific to writing about blackness. Yeah. And that's what I do. So I live a very black life. I live in Southeast D.C. I actually don't see many white people on a daily basis, believe it or not. Um, I live a very curated black life. My kids go to a black school, like...
1: This is all on purpose, like, definitely. Yeah, I mean, mean, I'm intentionally unapologetically (laughs) black.
0: Like, a lot of people say that, but I don't think most people are genuinely unapologetically black. We're, like, unapologetically black after 5 p.m. before 9 a.m. Or even, (laughs) not even then, because truth be told, most people don't genuinely live an unapologetically black life. Like, the white gaze is a real thing. Fuck that. Like, I decided to be black and die black, and that's how I'm going to run it which is awkward because my mom is white, but we don't get along that well. So, <laughs> I was about to say. You know, but it's,
1: We're missing the whole part of the life.
0: life. Listen, life is
1: interesting if you make it that way. Yeah, yeah, man. You know crazy, what I'm saying? Crazy. You know, a part of your interesting life as is is, is, is being a professional black person involved you getting a phone call from Oprah. What did Oprah have to call
0: you about? What was that phone call about? So I wrote an article about the show Queen Sugar. So it's one of my favorite shows. Uh, and there was an episode about Ralph Angel is the is one of the characters on the show uh, played by Kofi Sirbo. Um, Kofi Bay is how a lot of women refer to him. I met that Negro in person. That is a good-looking man. Like, I literally <laughs> couldn't look that nigga in his eyes because I was like, this is some Jamie Foxx Prince He was a shit. fawn. He was a fawn. This is some Jamie, Jamie Foxx Prince shit. I couldn't do it. I was like, I just, I'm not doing it. But there's a scene on in the show where he can't, his aunt has uh, custody of his child. And he couldn't sign a permission slip to send his child to the zoo. And I wrote about that because I'm a father, I have three children, and I was writing about the idea of not being able to allow my child to do something because I've been institutionalized. Like, the system has prevented me from being able to do something. So anyway, I wrote an article about that, hit publish, yada, yada, yada. Like, 11.30, my phone rings, and that shit says, unknown caller. I'm black. I don't answer those. That's
1: <laughs> spam um, only.
0: That shit could be the bill collectors mm. or whoever, the IRS, one of the random white people that I run from, and I listen to a voicemail, and I have a a minute and a half voicemail from Oprah Winfrey, and that shit starts out like Panama, it's Oprah Winfrey. <laughs> I don't know you, but I love you, and apparently that scene that I wrote about was her favorite scene from the entire season. Mm. And because I saw the same thing she saw, she genuinely, like, wanted to tell me about it. And so I have a voicemail on my phone from Oprah Winfrey that we played before, we prayed, every Thanksgiving. <laughs> um, but also, that led to, I got invited out to LA to hang with Oprah um, for the Queen Sugar, like, it was like a season two cast party, whatever. So they invited me, I got to hang with Oprah. I actually. Took a shot with Oprah. Like, we hung out. Like, me and Oprah talked. Took a shot with her. So, ain't no shit talking about Oprah no more. Oprah, <laughs> like, that's, that nigga's family as far as I'm concerned. She don't like the N-word, so my bad. Yeah, but, right. you know, like, that's but that's the kind of shit that happens to you when you just doing whatever it is you do best. And you. the lesson I learned from that is you never know who's paying attention. Yeah, yeah. Like, ultimately, when you're creating art or when you're writing or making music or whatever it is, you genuinely never know who's paying attention, mm-hmm. like, maybe Oprah Winfrey is paying <laughs> attention. And maybe because that nigga's the feds, she will call you yeah. because she can get your number. From an unknown number. At yeah. that, I know, And
1: I know she didn't leave her number in the voicemail.
0: Oh, no. Nah, she said she was going to call me back. She never did. But, <laughs> again, sh- they did invite me out. I got to hang out with Oprah at one point And we talked. And, like, and we took shots. And, you know, she gave me a word in real life. And that's one of those experiences that I will always have that nobody can take from me because it – meant something to me and it was this is a good time like how many motherfuckers get to hang with oprah on some shit where she actually knows your name because of something you did it's like you did something that impressed me you should come out here and hang with me yeah that's dope man and again i have a voicemail for the rest of my life from oprah
1: you know that you know what i do like about you you live a life that's invisible
0: you know, and um, you, 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 I read, I'm pretty sure you read as
1: well. Have you ever read Invisible Man by Ralph Ellison? I have, Ellison? Ralph Ellison, yeah. Yeah, you live an invisible life. Like, I feel like you're the type of person who lives in the basement. You run the lights up because you know ain't nobody going to charge you because they don't they don't really pay attention to you. <laughs> so
0: just live yeah. my life as free as possible. That's not completely true. So um, <laughs> actually, my, my cousin wired the entire neighborhood. Uh, so I lived, um, I'm from Adamsville, the west side of the city. But, like, not... Really, Adamsville, like Peyton Place by the old—it's He He Holmes is the Marta station now, mm-hmm. Hightower. We wired the whole fucking neighborhood with free cable, and the, the the Comcast people did show up at one point. Was like, "Yo, do you have cable?" <laughs> you, won't I was it. like, "Nah, B." <laughs> well, BT is on, so I'm not as invisible as I would like because that that went awry. I ended up having to pay for that.
1: That's crazy. Yeah, that man. was bad.
0: I've had a, I have a lot of very random stories in life and. I've lived life to the
1: fullest, and well, I enjoy you, it. You know what? And they all came to, to a point where it became profitable for you in 2008 when, um, very, when um, very Smart Brothers came about. Yeah. Um, how did the concept of the website come about in the first place, and, and what made y'all think that this would be something that will actually latch on to other people?
0: So, you ever, like, you ever just done some shit because you didn't know you couldn't do it? Every day. So, that, my partner and I, his name is Damon Young, and we had a third partner, Liz Burr. We started a website because we didn't have a reason not to. We started it. It was a very short conversation. I hit up Damon's like, yo, we should start a website together. He was like, cool. I went to Liz, was like, yo, we need a website. She was like, all right, I'll put that together. I went to Damon's, like, we need a name. He was like, How about Very Smart Brothers? I was like, cool. So I went and bought the website name and then Liz put it together. So and within like five minutes, we went from an idea to having a website. And because we were already bloggers, we had, we already had built-in fans, we had like a, a platform already and had a voice that was already established and we just benefited from being people who while we might not have known what we should have done to be the most successful we were talented enough to carry us to the next stage every time to get wherever we were we didn't know where we were going but we knew we were going somewhere okay. you know there were no goals it was like let's just do this and it turned out to be it turned into my career to the point where now that's literally what I do for a living that's amazing and, man yeah i'm 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 fortunate Blessed and highly favored, all the gospel songs and all that stuff, and
1: and it happened at a key time. I feel like around just like now with podcasts, like around 2008, that was a key time for you to really have a website that was going to jump off. You know, what I'm saying if it was going to get picked up, it was going to
0: happen around then. Any time after that was going to be well. There. We didn't. We we got. I didn't make any money off the website until 2017, but I also had like a gen. I had like a career. Like I I worked on Capitol Hill in D.C. For like I have a, I, my undergrad degrees are in math and economics, I have a master's in public policy, so I was working as a budget analyst for Congress for like 14 years, but we benefited from right this was when when um, there's a lot of black women in the room when the world was trying to tell black women how to get men and what was wrong with y'all and all that, like why you can't get no man, blah blah like we started yeah yeah, so we started we started our website during that time, but the difference was we one we genuinely like women. And two, we weren't trying to tell women how to get men. We were just writing about what it's like being a black man, dating or whatever. So we benefited from being dudes who weren't telling women how to be. And that it, it worked. We started out writing about relationships, and eventually, because we, my partner and I both suck at relationships, we just started writing about being black and what, like, black life was about. And, like, I specifically write a lot about black culture, like movies, music. Um, cataloging black joy and happiness because I don't want to write about the negative stuff all the time because yeah. it's depressing, I'd prefer to just catalog our culture because it doesn't happen anywhere else for real, for real. No, you're right. You're right. And I think, it, again, it's a
1: it's a needed thing, even even when we talk about things like, such as sugar or salt on your grids. You know it's mean? an like, important it's just, conversation. It, it really is. It really is. Because I think it's always important to have a space where you can just have these type of conversations no matter who you are. You know, there's going to be some stuff that's going to only be central to a certain group of people. Like, I would never give a shit about flats. You know what I'm saying? Like, I know a group of people who think that's the stupidest conversation, but that's an ongoing conversation.
0: That's an argument with every group of it people. It should be.
1: Yeah, it shouldn't be really, because drums is always the winner.
0: That's, so, t- I, I'm a drum person, <laughs> yeah. but I get the, under. I, I, I just left my boys' house, and we were eating a bunch of Jr. Crickets, wings. And the conversation came up because, I mean, those flats was really good. Drums for the win all the time, man. Yeah, drones
1: drones would have win all the time. I think this is really a silly conversation. Like, why do y'all? It's not
0: silly. This is this is this is black culture at its finest. Though, like, <laughs> the idea is that every like we like to do hood rat things with our friends. Yeah. Number one, and we like to have. I like to have really in depth conversations about nothing. And wings versus flats is a really angering discussion about absolutely nothing. Like, it's not going to change the world, but it matters. Like, everything doesn't have to be politics. It doesn't have to be some shit that's going to result in like. Black bodies being subject to more pain and destruction, sometimes it just needs to be, is this version of chicken better than that version of chicken? Like the whole Popeye chicken about to sandwich say shit. Popeyes like that, chicken. When that comes up, like that's a real thing we wrote. To be fair, my, my, my partner wrote about Popeyes chicken sandwiches before that became a national thing, so I want to take credit for that. Okay. We're going to go ahead and take credit for Popeye's chicken sandwiches becoming what it was. We're doing that.
1: Okay. Ken what you want to say?
0: well well, here's the thing about what you're saying about option is is this so my discussion is not really a colorism one it's that I like being black, right. and not only do I like it, I enjoy the discussion about it. I genuinely enjoy what comes with that, like I don't view it. Like, society wants to tell you that being black is a problem. I don't view it that way. Like I, But I have the luxury of creating a life that celebrates blackness in all of its splendor, glory, and wonder. Like, I, I literally get to celebrate us at all turns, and everybody doesn't have that option. Like... If I when I had my day job, I couldn't because I spent a large part of my day doing work for other people that didn't benefit me in any way, but it benefited, but it benefited me because I got a paycheck. But it didn't benefit me in terms of my personal edification and my personal like joy and soul. Understand now that. I get to do that. I literally get to just celebrate us. So it's not a color I you know, I celebrate you, I celebrate you, I celebrate, and I'm gonna celebrate people like myself who are light skinned and, and whatever. Like I don't focus on that because we're all black to me. Now, I'm not going to pretend like there's not a privilege that comes with being light-skinned. I understand that. And, I, and I'm and i never going to pretend like the struggle that I have is the same struggle that somebody else might have, whatever it is. My violin is smaller. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, ultimately, if I can celebrate you, I'm going to. And I'm going to do it the best way that I can. And maybe that will fall short. But I will do my absolute best. You will know 100% that it's authentic, it's real, it's genuine because... I love us, I care about us, and I like, I genuinely like being black. Like, I actually started this series on my website called America and Black. And the point of it was to get people to write articles about um, celebrating blackness to some degree, right? And what I got was a lot of people sending me articles that were rooted in black pain. And I'm like, do any of y'all motherfuckers actually like being black? Or is every discussion that you have about blackness rooted in whiteness? And because mine is not like my black my life is rooted in me in in the the world that I've created. And I had to understand that that's a luxury that I apparently have built for myself and that I live within, because a lot of people do live a life where it's like. The little moments that you share when you chilling and there's no white people or nobody that's oppressing you around are not the norm. They're just an aberration from that. So for me, that's my normal life. And I get to celebrate that. Everybody doesn't get to. And that is a
1: rarity, to be completely honest with you. But
0: um, I, I like how you, you you've accepted that part of your life.
1: You know what I'm saying? And you kind of just tackle that. And I like how you, you've, you've turned it all the way into a career. Uh, what has been your favorite
0: your favorite piece so far as you've written for um, for for
1: Very Smart Brothers?
0: My favorite piece is probably y'all remember Beyonce's song "Flaws and All." I remember that song. It's I'm, a wonderful, it's a beautiful song. Y'all, I everybody? know no Beyonce records. I know no Beyonce I'm a train wreck in the morning. I'm a bitch in the afternoon. Anyway, stupidest fucking song of all time. So I wrote an article about why that song is ridiculous, why any man who's going to sign up for this nonsense is stupid. Like, she's basically telling you, don't date me. Stay away from me because I'm trash. And so I wrote a whole analysis of why this song is ridiculous. Or actually, I also wrote a song about Omarion. uh, Omarion, What's the chick that can't sing? Jeanette Aiko?
1: Omarion.
0: Um, oh, who else was on the song "Post to Be"? Yeah. Omar, like I love that song. Like, eat eat the booty like groceries. I wrote an article called an analysis of eating the booty like groceries. Like, what does this shit really mean? Like, when we're, but so like the uh, so this this is why I say I'm a professional black person. I get paid to write whole ass articles analyzing the term "eat the booty like groceries." Right. Somebody paid me for that. You know, I literally got a check to do that shit for a living, and you cannot get more free than that.
1: You know it's real. I'm I'm thinking right now because I, I often see those see those type of titles, and I'd be like, who be coming up with titles and shit like that? And I remember one where um Cardi B. This is right when Cardi B was being popular. And somebody for the story wrote a somebody from the root wrote a story about Cardi, and the title was Cardi B is the Boo Medea of hip hop, and that drew me in immediately. And this dude from went from yeah, <laughs> the Boo Medea of hip hop. And I was like, "Damn, I don't even know how you explain somebody like that." <laughs> the Boo uh, Medea, like from the movie, from the boo. movie. Yeah, he said she is literally the that. Boo Medea. I, I love and hate a Medea Halloween. But I did not see that movie. Yeah, man, and I was like, that, "That's a brutal I way to break
0: down somebody." That's
1: a <laughs> But my point was, yeah, I always see those titles and I'll be thinking, like, who just be coming up with those random but, titles to bring you know people
0: what? in? That right there is a byproduct of the fact that nobody actually reads stories. True. So in order to get motherfuckers to pay attention and click, you got to come up with a title that genuinely gets people's attention. True. The more ridiculous, the better. Bossip, for instance, has some of the craziest headlines of all and the thing is that some of their headlines are longer than the actual articles yes right yeah yeah. but yeah. the thing is nobody reads articles anyway so it's like <laughs> niggas just share the titles and the Isn't article that? like i i had this like in my head i'm gonna end up doing some series where i just i have a great title and the article says fuck all of you who read this and nobody will know because nobody actually reads articles we just share shit because it makes us laugh one, everybody wants to be the first one to get to that story, to share that story, to make sure that everybody sees it. So, But, I mean, it's a byproduct of being an online writer personality. I mean, it is what it is.
1: Yeah, man. I know you Um, Right now you're down here for Morehouse Homecoming. I am. Yeah,
0: and you're a proud Morehouse man. Absolutely.
1: Uh, what does it mean to go to Morehouse? What does it mean for you to go to Morehouse and graduate from Morehouse?
0: Um, So, for one, for me, it was the best decision I ever made. I am who I am today because of the people that I was able to surround myself with at Morehouse um to be in a space with all these other black men who are in a position and want to be positive is a steam building like it helps you feel like i so i get to when i went to morris i i got to be just broke not black and broke you know what i mean like i got to be angry not black and angry like thing you know things would piss me off and it was it was just purely about the situation not because i was black too but I also got the ability to be around a bunch of people who saw life the way that I did, and that was, we all wanted something else from it, and we were willing to do what it took to get it. So, you know, being in Morehouse for me helped me see who I could be, but it also helped me get there because the people that I was around and the people, my closest friends are people that pushed me. You know, I didn't. I didn't have the benefit of growing up with a lot of mentors in life and like like other men to tell me what it's like to be a man. I learned a lot of that on the fly, but from my friends. Like my friends helped me learn what it looked like to be a man, and they're the people that held me accountable when I was eighteen. They're holding me accountable now that I'm forty, as a parent, as a husband. Like they can't afford to let me fall off. I can't afford to let them fall off. And that's what Morehouse means to me. It's a space that builds actual black manhood in a way that is not subject to these rules. Like, I, I don't subscribe to, like, what makes you a man. I'm not into that type of shit. Just, but, like, being a man in terms of being responsible and accountable and just caring about other people in a way that benefits our community as a whole, which ultimately, you know, benefits society as a whole. Like, that's what it was for me.
1: That's what's up, man. You ready for homecoming this weekend?
0: I've been homecoming since, been homecoming-ing since yesterday. Yeah. I've done a lot of drinking in the past – uh, day and a half and I am the dude who brings a book bag full of bottles of liquor and shot cups and all that stuff like
1: you're the bad influence
0: no I'm, I'm the supplier I'm the plug when you like like and I think that is a good influence because I'm here to support everybody else's as somebody who lives a free black life and I get to be a professional black person for this Saturday when we tailgate, everybody else gets to be that for a little while. I get to go home and do this shit. Niggas do this for a couple hours on Saturday. Enjoy. I supply the, Enjoy. I supply the enjoyment for as long as I can. That's what's up, bro.
1: Well, uh, you, you you are easily a dose Equis man.
0: You know, easily one of the most interesting people on, on the planet. I'm shooting for it. I'm trying to go for at least number four number five.
1: You know what, speaking and I know that one of the things um, that was also popped up to me was you
0: recently got married.
1: Now, watch your colors. With well, those Morehouse colors, too, you had on, too, your suit and everything?
0: Uh, I, we did have maroon or, or burgundy or some version of that color. But, no, that, that was my wife. She picked out those colors. Okay. Um, yeah, I got married a year ago on October 12th. Um, yeah, so it's, it's you know, my wife is my wife is Ghanaian. She went to Howard. So the Howard-Morehouse conversations are interesting in our house. But we have beautiful children together, and um, we're building a life, and hopefully it, it's till we die. All
1: right, man. Well, congratulations on that. I got Thank married. Um, I'm going on two years. Start. How's that working out for you? It's working out great. You know what? My, my my anniversary is December third. My birthday is December fourth, and I can never forget either one. You know what I mean? Like, you, there's no way I can celebrate my birthday and then
0: forget my anniversary without. You know, that's never gonna happen. So yeah, yeah it's
1: going well so far, though. Yeah.
0: I like being married. They that like it I like I like the, I like family, but I like the stability of it. Yeah. You know, at some point, you got to chill out. Like I was a little bit of a wild card when I was younger. Like, I'm the person who. Opens up the club and shuts down the club at the same time. Like sometimes you got to go home, and I was never ready to go home. And now I I, I go home. Now you like really Netflix and chill. <coughs> I just like being in the house with my kids, man. Honestly, I don't even like going out that much anymore. Like I'm do that while I'm here because I'm like childless and wifeless right now. But when I'm at home in DC, like I don't even, I don't I don't go out. Like I stopped. I I have a bit of an addictive personality, so. When I'm out, like, I'm out, out. You know, there's no, there's no, You, I'm I'm a Gemini, so I'm extreme, too. Like, my whole life is extremes. So, if I'm, I'm either going all the way with it, or I just got to chill all the way out. Because there's no, I don't know how to do the middle ground. Yeah. So, I'm at home a lot. My wife goes out all the time. She's much, she's younger than I am. Um, and I support that. Go have all the fun. <laughs> so, we good. I got the kids. We good at home. We going to watch Aladdin for the 300th time. Or Coco or something. So, marriage, marriage is good. It's calmed me down. It's made me. It's probably made me a, a happier person, um, or at least maybe not happier, but more of a chill person. Word. What's next for you? <laughs> I'm working on a book right now. working on a book proposal anyway. Uh, hopefully, I have enough cash to get like a real book deal that pays, you know, like six-figure advances and things like that, which I think I do um, based on the, the the website that we've built up and all the, you know, what, what I've built up with my website, Very Smart Brother. So, working on that. Um... I'm I'm podcasting, too. I did a podcast on on Queen Sugar, working on my own personal one. So mostly just trying to take advantage of the opportunities in front of me that don't limit me to doing stuff that I don't want to do. You know, like I have – I feel like I'm at a point in my life where I literally can try everything that I want to. I'm financially stable enough to do it where I can make some risky decision that doesn't affect my house or doesn't affect my family. I'm just in a good place, so, you know. If that's whatever, wherever that takes me, and maybe put it this way. I don't believe that I've topped out on whatever I'm supposed to do in life. And that's very freeing and makes me believe that, you know, one day y'all going to see me in other formats and ways that are going to make us all better people or at least make us all money, rich.
1: Word, word. Well, congratulations, man. I'm glad I had a chance to link up with you while you were in town.
0: Appreciate it. And I
1: appreciate you for stopping by the Cash Color Campus podcast, a high level of conversation. Thank you very much, bro. Appreciate you. No doubt. Founded in 2015, Peak Relief is the premier landing spot for your medical marijuana needs in Maryland. Not built by national consultants or businesses, but by friends with a dream to return home and create a better dispensary. Located at 2001 Chapman Ave, in Rockville, Maryland, stop by Peak Relief and see what they have in store for you.